1: my next guests have just joined me in the studio. Uh, They're all three of them performing in a new play by Geelong-based playwright Ross Mueller. The play is called Lifetime Guarantee, previewing tonight and opening tomorrow night at Theatre Works in St Kilda. Joining me in the studio, we have Isabella Jena, uh, Julian Dibley-Hall and Charles uh, Purcell. Welcome Mm. to all three of you. Thank you. Hello. So I'm going to start with you, Julian, because you're playing the, the lead character in the play, who slightly chaotically, is called Charles. So, um, so Charles, you're playing a character called Dan, so I'm hopefully not going to get the two of you confused. That's correct. Um, uh, and Isabella, your character, is called Jody, which yes. is nice and simple because there are no other Jodies in the studio. Nice so we've established that. That's good. So, Julian, tell us a little bit about the play. It's, I mean, I'm, I've been familiar with Ross's work for... Well, 15, 16 years, I guess. But this latest work is, what, satirical, a comedy, looking at property development and and other contemporary kind of trends and issues. Yeah, it is a comedy
2: and it's looking at property development um, but really I think the the main uh, thing he's considering is our relationship to objects, whether they are buildings, cars, uh, the technology around us Um, and property development is one of the one of the ways he's looking at that so yes it's a comedy and it looks at um our obsessions and our our loves for the objects that we create and use every day really isabella have you performed any of ross's work
1: before
3: no i haven't i've been mentored by him uh in other developments but none of his work so this is a new thing for me
1: Tell us about being mentored by him. What was that involved
3: with? That was involved with the Australian Theatre for Young People. They were developing four new Australian plays by developing writers and we were all in a room, I think, for a couple of months. Julian was there just playing and figuring out what was happening and it was great. And Ross was there guiding us all through it.
1: So if you've had that that relationship professionally with Ross, what's it then like to step onto the stage to speak his words?
3: Do you know it it's kind of great because I know how he thinks and how what he's thinking in the development process because I've been in a process with him before. So when it comes to performing and rehearsing it, it's um, it's interesting to see him in a different role instead of director, sort of he's now the writer and I'm taking on a similar role, but with his work, so it's a different relationship and it's it's interesting to see where he's coming from. Now that he's a, I'm viewing his work through the writer, his point as a writer.
1: Yeah, and Charles, what is the? Tell us about the tone of the play and the style of the text that's being performed. Um, the tone, it's very funny. What Ross is
4: great at is writing really sharp, acerbic, kind of caustic dialogue. He's really good at writing um, characters that are just kind of awful to each other in a way, um, which is really fun to play as an actor. Um, but yeah, stylistically, it's a comedy. It's very, it's very fun. Um, but through comedy, he's looking at very serious kind of contemporary issues.
1: I as mean, because the the play, the first play of his that I really got to know properly, I think I saw it a couple of times, was Construction of the Human Heart, mm. which is certainly not a comedy at all. No. It's, it's a, a very kind of bleak and sharp and poignant piece of mm. writing. So he certainly is a as a playwright is somebody who seems to be able to kind of embrace uh, the form and, and the style and particular style of a drama, be it drama, in inverted commas, be it comedy, and really make it breathe. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, and what it
4: means, because it's, it's so sharp and it's, uh, it's so fast and it's so witty, is that when, um, you know, there are moments of real pathos, they really pack a punch, I think.
1: Yeah. Mm. How hard is it to play comedy, um, given that I imagine it would
2: sometimes be easy to overplay? <laughs> it needs it needs a deft hand, um, and uh, it's a very. It needs to breathe as a technical exercise. If that makes sense, it has to be very precise in the timing and the execution, and the margin for error is tiny. But within that, there's a lot of room to play. It's very fun to play, but it's it's uh, it's quite musical, actually. And it is one of those things that I don't
4: think we're going to find out what's funny and what's not until it gets in front of an, an audience. audience. Mm-hmm. Ross came into mm-hmm. the, the room um, a couple of days ago, and he's a very generous laugher. So it was nice to hear the, <laughs> yeah. the you know the, the writer
1: laughing. <laughs> yeah. But presumably he, I mean, he's laughing. He knows the the lines. He's anticipating yeah. them. And audiences will often laugh at completely different lines, lines that you don't expect to be funny at all. Absolutely. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> now I'm interested, Julian. Given what you were just saying about the how you have to play comedy, the timing. It, it, it sounded like you're perhaps more self-conscious on stage with comedy than you are with drama. Would that be fair to say? And that's, I guess, a question for all three of you.
2: Mm. I don't think I'm more self-conscious on stage, but I perhaps have to have a different style of consciousness in the rehearsal room. So once the the run has begun or the that we are doing a full run of the show, you still lose yourself in the show in the way that you inve- invest yourself in any performance, but there are different... Um, things to note for yourself as an actor during the rehearsal process so that the playing of that time becomes organic or, or natural or real um, for yourself and one of the enemies of comedy is self-consciousness as a performer mm-hmm. I think as
4: soon as you're self-conscious like it's, it's nice to be given the excuse to go big and go wild and you know, yeah. be
1: ridiculous Isabella, how big and wild do you get to go into this into in this show? Given that you're playing a personal assistant to someone, and I'm told a personal assistant with a big secret or a dark a secret. A
3: big, big secret, yes.
1: Which I we think, can't give too much away, no. about, of course, <laughs> and <laughs> and
3: <laughs> I think we all get the chance to go pretty pretty big with our characters. I think one of the great things about Ross's writing is that each character is equal in that sense; that they're equally as cruel, equally as funny equally as flawed, so I think everybody gets the chance to sort of delve into those different parts of who they are, which I think is one of the gems of the show
1: And the risk of course is of, with comedy that you can go too big, which is where your director John Sheedy comes in and presumably
5: <laughs> mm. is con-
2: regularly saying dial it back, yeah. dial it back yeah. a little. Yeah. Have any of you worked with John before? No, never No, no it's for all. Of us. Yeah, Lovely to have him in Melbourne He's been in Perth for many years so yeah. it's a real honour to work with him
1: and so, tell us about the the atmosphere in the rehearsal room. Because this is a brand new play, so presumably it's the writer is still tweaking and cut cutting and tightening, and you're occasionally getting scripts which have been slightly rewritten. Um, the director is conscious that it's a new play, and and you're. Have the I guess the responsibility for all of the cast that you are delivering a brand new play. Tell us about the risks, but also then the delights of working with such new material. Um, well, I guess the the
4: pleasure of working on a new work is that we get to um, uh, you know edit and trim as we go, and we discover things that would work be- better in certain ways, and or uh, you know, and Ross is very has been really generous um, in letting us uh, tweak his words to to. Fine tuned moments.
2: Yeah. It's been a real, um I think, from Ross and John out to everyone else, a real sense of exploration because it is new. There's no um, blueprint from a previous production because there hasn't been one. And so uh, Ross has been tweaking and, and fine tuning. John has been bringing his eye to that process. And we also, in terms of how the characters actually live off the page, have had a chance to really. Um, explore and play with what that might be. It's been great.
3: And that's really exciting as well that it, Ross has been in the room as well, tweaking and helping us, being along with us in that process discovering the play as well.
1: Mm. And I imagine he must have been Perhaps a little distracted because he's just had another play, a strategic plan, opening what only a week ago yeah, uh, for Griffin yeah. Theatre Company in Sydney. Is... So he's got he's working on two new plays at once. And I know that, for example, a strategic plan um, during its previews and it's had slightly longer uh, a slightly longer series of previews before it opened. But there were major changes being made to the play in preview mode before opening night when it went in front of uh, critics and and so forth. Mm. So has it been a similar experience here that it's from the, f- the earlier draft that you all saw, that it's changed significantly since this draft, and how available has Ross been, given that he's been, what, flying backwards yeah. and forwards between cities, driving up from Geelong and so forth?
4: Yeah, well, Ross um, did a Masters at VCA when we were all studying there as actors um, in writing, and during that year he wrote both plays, so in the first six months he wrote um, a strategic plan, the second six months he wrote Lifetime Guarantee, and I was lucky enough to work on the development of Lifetime Guarantee at VCA, along with Candace Miles, who is also in the cast um, but it's it's a you know, very different play now to what it was. Um, and Ross has been in Sydney a lot because of a st- strategic plan, but he is coming to preview tonight and he will be around tomorrow
2: <laughs> <laughs>
4: to perhaps alter things depending on how tonight goes. So we'll see <laughs> what tomorrow has in store.
2: It's one
1: of the things that strikes me is uh, that as actors, you not only have to be... Truthful, embody emotion, respond to the audience, and how they respond, and so forth. But you have that difficult job with a brand new work. That the script you perform one night, maybe like entire scenes might be cut, and you have to learn brand new scenes for opening night twenty-four hours later. That's a bit of a challenge, surely. No, it's exciting. It's exciting. <laughs> it's challenged, but it's an exciting. challenge,
2: Definitely, <laughs> I love the way you're all putting a positive spin on it. <laughs> well, well, um, you know, it, it is genuinely exciting because uh, by the time you get to opening, you are living the work. And to have someone throw you, I mean, essentially a curveball, but- Curveball at that stage is exciting because it, it brings everything else into a different focus and a different energy. Um, and it keeps it
1: alive in a way that stops you want kind of resting on your laurels or, or just taking the work for granted. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, the play is Lifetime Guarantee by Ross Mueller, directed by John Sheedy, previewing tonight and opening tomorrow night at Theatre Works in St Kilda. Um, let's come back and talk a little bit about the, the play itself. We've spoken about the fact that it's a comedy, that it's referencing our love of materiality, our love of things. In terms of, I guess, for people who don't know Ross and his work, how would you, how are you describing it to friends or colleagues who say, yes, you've told us what it's about, but really what's it like?
2: What's it like? Um, I've, I actually think that the set design for me speaks to, a lot to what it is like. It is sleek lines and hard angles and It's shiny. Um, it, that mm. doesn't mean you can't get inside it. It's, it's a, um, as a, an experience, it's very welcoming, but it's, it's definitely welcoming in the way of a, a modern apartment building, not welcoming in the way of a 1960s bungalow house, mm. if that makes sense as a, as a metaphor. Yeah, it is sleek and shiny, isn't it? Mm. But on, but at the same time, it's kind of
4: there's something bubbling underneath that you yeah. can't quite put your finger on. And what Ross has done so well is create, write this world, which is not quite our world but very much could be. Mm. Um, and so there are just little glitches <laughs> which we're not familiar with but are speaking to, um, you know, very real issues that we're all encountering day to day.
1: Well, the sheer fact, for example, that the... The same-sex couple at the heart of the play, um, according to the the blurb that I've been given, is that Charles wants to have kids, live in Spring Street, speculation, uh, the dream, and uh, he just wants his lover to hold his hand in public. Mm-hmm. So that is kind of that that notion of just expressing affection, regardless of whether it's a same-sex couple or an opposite-sex couple, is something that I'm sure everybody's dealt with in public at some stage, mm. kind of like. Do we ha- do we hold? Do we not? Do we kiss in public? Public displays of affection. <laughs> how do we? What do we do? So yeah. So there's some humanity and uh, common shared humanity at, uh, underneath all the jokes and the humour and the and the satire as well. Mm.
3: Definitely, definitely. And I think as well, uh, what's great about Ross's writing, especially in this play, is it's really it's unapologetic in that way, and it really allows you to to think about all those things and to to sort of sit in that and and realize that 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 that's happening and that you know we live in this not real world you know we could be living in that world if you know i think that's great mm-hmm.
1: Lifetime Guarantee. Previewing tonight and opening tomorrow night at TheatreWorks 14 Ackland Street, St Kilda, and running through until the 26th of February. For more info, you can go to TheatreWorks.org.au where you can also book tickets of $38 for adults and $30 concession. It's a brand new Australian play by Geelong-based playwright Ross Mueller. Very much looking forward to seeing it when it opens tomorrow night. Lifetime Guarantee. As I said, more info at TheatreWorks.org.au Isabella, Julian and Charles, thanks very much for joining us here at R. Thanks, thanks for having us.
3: Thank
1: you. I want to turn back the clock for a moment and... Uh Qu- quite some way back, actually. If you've ever been to the Fairfield Amphitheatre, then there's a company you should be thanking for that. The Stork Theatre. Before they moved to the Stork Hotel in the city, now demolished, um, they were performing work outdoors at, uh, on the banks of the Yarra. Uh, and while the Stork Theatre no longer exists, which they then moved to, um, the company themselves, the Stork Theatre, are still presenting work and they're presenting at La Mama Courthouse Theatre from uh, the 7th to the 19th of this month The Rage of Achilles which is an adaptation uh, performed and adapted by my next guest Humphrey Bower based on the work of Homer and the epic poem written in what a thousand and something BC I'm going to ask you for the exact date Humphrey it's based on the Iliad I believe
0: that's right, hi Richard um, Well no one knows exactly when it was written I think the current theory is Sort of somewhere in about the 8th century BC um, But it refers back to the events That probably took place You know, even longer ago Like, two, you know, about 3,000 years ago basically so, <laughs> so he's definitely turning the clock back Quite a long way
1: Why does a story from the Bronze Age Essentially still have resonance today?
0: Well, I think. I mean, I think Homer. I mean, it's 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 arguably our oldest surviving work of of Western literature, um, it, but it stretches back to to pre-literate times. In fact, the, the current theory is that Homer was a was a bard or a member of a tradition of bards who actually performed and semi-improvised these stories before it was written down. Um, but it's dealing with you know really universal. Themes about what it means to be a human being. Um, you know, it's our oldest war story for a start. Um, so it speaks very directly today. I mean, particularly a siege. When Helen asked me to to, to work on the show, you know, I, I immediately I was thinking about Aleppo and and other sieges like that that were taking place in the world. And specifically, this adaptation, which focuses on the rage of Achilles, is is about rage, the emotion of rage, especially male rage which, whether we're talking about domestic violence or whether we're talking about world leaders on the world stage today, seems extremely timely.
1: Now, the fact that, as you say, it's this, there is still so much resonance in there, in some ways is kind of depressing, it suggests that humanity hasn't evolved much over the past 3,000 years.
0: Well, not in terms of our core, (laughs) our core brain hasn't evolved much, I don't think, and (laughs) You know those those emotions of love, of hatred, of rage. Um, you know, it, it, it's 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 an emotional cycle. This story, and I I don't think we've we've significantly changed
1: in that way. Now, in terms of significant change, how much change have you had to make in order to adapt and distil the this epic poem, the Iliad, down into the performance, the rage of Achilles.
0: Well, the show runs for about an hour and twenty minutes, um, instead of running for <laughs> about six hours, which it would or longer if I were going to do the entire the entire epic. I mean, there's an enormous amount of wonderful poetry in the Iliad, um, which which is not essential to to a play. This is, only it's just me performing, so it's still a story. Um, but I'm playing multiple characters and telling the story, you know, verbally, physically, with images. Um, but, but there are an enormous number of characters in, in the entire epic. I mean, in some ways, the original epic is like a war memorial. It, it, it's, it includes the names of literally hundreds of characters who die in all sorts of horrible ways <laughs> in, in great anatomical detail. And, and that, that's all been taken out. So we're really f- focusing on the core story of Achilles, who is who is the greatest warrior of the Greeks, who quarrels with his commander in chief, who he, he withdraws from the fighting. His withdrawal causes more deaths, and it, it, it's a, a kind of an escalating cycle of violence. But it's a very, very, it's actually quite an intimate story. There's probably only four or five central characters to this, the story that I've kind of filleted it out from the whole
1: epic. Now, for people who don't know the backstory around the Iliad, we're talking... Ab- uh, Greek myth, we're talking Helen of Troy, the, the face that exactly. launched a thousand ships, but yeah. it, for in many ways, the the aspect that appeals to me personally, I guess, that perhaps is uh, part of not necessarily all of the story you're telling, and every storyteller will have their own adaptation, their own slant on it, but the fact that Achilles is, as you say, is, is withdrawing, is extracting himself from this bloody Trojan war, but then when his best friend, or in some readings, his lover, uh is is killed that throws him back with fury and vengeance into the war that notion of a human tragedy at the heart of an epic story is something that that really does resonate down through the ages
0: yeah i think so and i think that's the core of theater too i mean what once you focus on that i mean yeah as you say everyone's heard of um, if they've heard of anything they've heard of Helen of Troy possibly um, of Paris kind of taking her to Troy and the Greeks coming to get her she does feature in this adaptation by the way she, she does make an appearance but, but Homer actually only looks at the last year of the war and in fact he's looking at a very short span of time in fact the, I've compressed it even more so it's really just a matter of days during that last Yeah, i mean the other thing everyone's heard of is the trojan horse and that that doesn't happen either we don't see the end of the war and we don't see the beginning of the war we get a little a microcosm in the last year of the war and we get a kind of picture of the the sort of the the essential cycle of war and violence and revenge that that i think still lies at the heart of well of all war and actually of all of all conflict
1: and that cost them, the human cost and the suffering that uh, is at the heart of war because I understand that your adaptation and, and your reading of the text is this is not an epic glorious war story, this is about a uh, a human tragedy
0: Absolutely, I mean it's, it's, it is a war story, it's an, also an anti-war story um, and it's, it's, it's about much more than war, but I mean I think war stories set in war have fascinated us for thousands of years because some of these kind of elemental questions of what it means to be human are really exposed and laid bare in in, in times of extreme conflict.
1: We're speaking with Humphrey Bower about The Rage of Achilles, which he has adapted and is performing uh, on at the La Mama Courthouse Theatre in Drummond Street, Carlton. As always, whenever I'm talking about any La Mama production, a quick disclaimer, I am on the Committee of Management, so this is, in theory, possibly a conflict of interest, but I don't benefit financially from my involvement with the theatre, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, but the production is being presented as part of the Melbourne Homer Fest. Can you tell us a little bit more about that, Humphrey?
0: Well, I think this is something that Stork Theatre um, has... I mean, the Iliad is part of this broader context. And, um, I mean, Helen has H- Helen Madden, who's the, the Artistic Director of Stork Theatre and the producer of the show, has also initiated a number of other activities. Um, I think Peter Craven is giving a talk uh, on the Iliad... Um, uh, There's an event at Readings in Carlton. To to be honest, I I can't list the details of of all the various events. Um, You've been a little bit preoccupied. I've been a little bit preoccupied (laughs) telling this epic story, doing doing my bit for... (laughs) <laughs> for the um, for the Homer
1: Fest. If people would like to know more about the uh, the broader context, uh, the melbournehomerfest.com is the website you want to go to where you can find details about the play, the talk, the music, uh, kids' activities and more. And if you would like to know more about the Rage of Achilles, you can go to the La Mama website and you can also book at www.storktheatre.com.au. The Rage of Achilles is on at the La Mama Courthouse Theatre on now until the 19th of February. Humphrey, many thanks for joining us here at Triple
0: R. Thanks, Richard.
1: My next guest is a visual artist who, amongst other things, has made a suit of armour out of glass um, and seen a piece of photojournalism that evoked one of my favourite sculptures of all time. Uh, Her name is Penny Byrne and she has a new exhibition on uh, called Brutal. Which is on at Linden New Art in Ackland Street, St. Kilda, opening tonight. Penny, welcome to Triple R. Thanks very much for having me, Richard. My very great pleasure. So I as soon as I saw the images from Brutal, your new exhibition, I was instantly intrigued because it's this wonderful blending of of almost kitsch in terms of the some of the materials and, and structures you're using with an incredibly potent political message and if people want to get a sense of what I'm talking about just go to lindenarts.org there's an image called Europa Europa which are these small what porcelain figures yeah,
5: porcelain figurines yes that's yeah. right
1: and so they look like the kind of porcelain figurines that I don't know your grandmother might buy while she's visiting uh, rural England um, but they're all wearing life jackets. So instantly there's this commentary on the crisis in Europe, refugees, people drowning at sea, contrasting with this safe, homely image.
5: That's right. Well, in the work that I'm doing, I use the vintage figurines uh, as a starting point, I guess, for exactly that reason that uh, people find them very familiar. And uh, you're right, Nana probably had one on her mantelpiece. And uh, actually, people sometimes give me figurines for my work. And I say to them, don't steal from your Nana, because (laughs) (laughs) it's very tempting. Uh, But because these figurines are very easily recognisable, people feel quite comfortable when they see them. And so I find that um, people find them quite engaging and uh, they get drawn in by that initial sort of recognition. And then, as you say, once you get in closer and realise what's going on, they've got these orange life jackets on and they're on a, they're, there's a mass of figurines on this giant antique blue and white serving platter. Uh, It it was just, for me, the images of the migrants' crisis, seeing those photos, particularly taken by drones uh, from above, uh, these just massive orange life jackets and these these people crammed into boats. And so I've I've replicated that in this work.
1: It was fascinating for me to log on to Lyndon's website last night while I was doing some research and prepping for the show. And at first glance, it's such a a gentle image. And then there's this sudden shock. I I was literally shocked when I realised the political context of the image and what it was saying. So that juxtaposition between the comfortable and the and the provocation is such a fascinating kind of element of the work.
5: That's great to hear you're shocked. I, I, that's exactly what I'm aiming for, I guess, because... Um this 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 body of work I've uh, this, the show's called Brutal and um, really for me and a lot of people I know last year was an incredibly brutal year and well let's face it this year's shaping up to be even more so um, I guess as an artist what I've done in recent years is made work that is looking at political issues but. This one, I'm really not holding back. Uh, I'm, I'm just, I've really gone for it. I've, I've, I've just covered all sorts of topics and. Um it's been quite a quite an emotional journey for me in making some of these works because it's very easy when you're looking at your social media news feed to sort of just scroll through everything that's happening and maybe not engage. And I know particularly, for instance, with the Aleppo uh, crisis uh, just before Christmas, I just got overwhelmed by that. And it's it's easy to turn away, isn't it, you know, from that and, and, and not be engaged. And so I've, I guess, made myself look and see and re-engage with a lot of these issues that have really upset me over the last 12 months.
1: In the past, you think you were holding back with some of the works you created?
5: Well, I guess not. I mean, my work's been pretty out there. Uh, But this, for some reason, these works have just gone to a whole new level. Um, I've really addressed issues that I haven't actually gone near before. One, One of the main areas that I've kind of avoided, I suppose, as an artist is um, childhood sexual abuse uh, by by the clergy and um, Catholic Church in particular. And so this time I've actually made a work about that. And who would have thought that the Royal Commission would call all the archbishops literally this week, but there's a work in the show called Shame. And um, they've actually been saying uh, at the commission that they feel shame. So it's sort of interesting. I finished that work late last year, but it's, it's interesting, isn't it, how these things turn out? You can yeah. see that
1: work if you go to Penny's website, which is pennyburnartist.com, pennyburnartist.com. It's one of the uh, the central images on the website. Um, some of the other works, uh, for example, there's an overt reference to uh, his th- the Cheeto horror, um, uh, uh, Donald Trump, for example, and... Uh, Tell it, and what scale are these works? Because looking at photographs, for example, it's not always possible to get a sense of of size and scale. And I'm imagining that some of the figures you're working with must be quite small. So to transform them must be a fairly delicate process.
5: Yes, it is. So the scale is well, um, I guess the largest work might be about seventy centimetres high. There's some really large figurines, but then the smallest works probably about ten centimetres high. Um, and yeah, it it's, it takes a lot of skill to to manipulate and reconfigure these. these little figurines but I'm a ceramics conservator and restorer as well and so I guess the reason I'm using these figurines in my work is a direct reference to my ceramics conservation background and um, I use all the skills and techniques and materials that I use as a ceramics conservator to then really, really play around with these figurines and cut them up and reconfigure them, muck them, muck around with them. Yeah.
1: It's something that I've seen done a lot, oddly enough, in the gaming world when people are using uh, small lead figurines, for example, the notion of going, well, I like this, but it doesn't represent me or my character, so I'll just graft on a bit of that and a bit of this and a bit of... This. So that, that notion of taking the existing object and transfiguring it transforming it personalizing it uh, and clearly you're personalizing these figures in a way which is drawing from some really deep and uncomfortable emotion
5: yeah i hadn't thought about the gaming uh, reference but you're right and I, I really do like those little gaming figurines and i'm quite drawn to them and um, my website uh, designer actually is a gamer himself and has all sorts of little figures when i go to meet with him he's got little crazy things that he they, they paint them don't they and, yeah. re- and re- reconfigure them and make them sort of suit themselves so yeah i hadn't thought about that i'll have to give that a try perhaps <laughs> i could have some fun with that uh, yeah
1: i won't charge a commission for the idea <laughs> <laughs> um, tell us a little bit about your background penny when do, how did you become involved in and engaged with visual arts as a career uh,
5: well I did go to art school back in the late 80s I went to RMIT and did a ceramics fine art degree Um, but then I went off and became a ceramics conservator and trained in the UK and uh, had a very good career and as I say continue to um, have a career as a ceramics conservator but really my art came about about 10 11 years ago when I made a work for um, a fringe festival show for my studio at Easy Street in Collingwood and um I don't know if you know about... Of course, whenever I used to say my studio was in Easy Street, people would say, oh, the Easy Street murders, you know. Ooh. So people, uh, I don't know if they know about the Easy Street murders, but two women were, were murdered, brutally murdered, and, and they never found who did it. In, Back fact, in the 1970s. Yeah, in the 70s, and they've actually put out a million-dollar reward just in the last month to see if they can solve that case. But... Um, The idea for this Fringe Festival show was we'd call it Murder on Easy Street and anyone who who, um, had a studio at Easy Street could put in an uh, an artwork and uh, I wasn't making art but I had a ballerina figurine from my mum's antique shop and I thought, well, I'd just seen Kill Bill and I thought, I know, I can make that ballerina murder another ballerina and I called it Murder on the Dance Floor and um, that was that was me you know my mucking around with figurines and that's how it started and not many people saw that fringe festival show though as as is often as is the, the case one. and um and then i saw an ad on a tram for Lyndon postcard show and it said postcard show open entry anyone can enter lots of people will see your work and i thought oh that's a good thing maybe i'll i'll put the work in that cuz the people who had seen it at the fringe show thought it was hilarious and um, so I entered it in the postcard show and um, went to the opening. There were thousands of people there. I'd, I kind of didn't know much about the art world and my name got called out as one of the postcard winners and, and I, I, won, I won $250. It was fantastic. <laughs> I thought, wow. And then from there, my, my I got picked up by a commercial gallery pretty quickly after that, actually. And um, the rest is history, as they say.
1: Yeah. Um, looking at your website, and I'll give the, the URL again, pennyburnartist.com. If you go to pennyburnartist.com, dot com forward slash works. You'll see a range of uh, the current works that are in the exhibition. Brutal, uh, Putin's poodle, for example, which uh, is a, a Donald Trump bobblehead epoxied onto uh, a porcelain figurine. And again, the, the contrast between um, the this ugly visage that we're now all familiar with and the clown like costume of the figure that uh, that you've connected it to is quite intriguing. The uh, there's a range of works again some of them are are almost playful and some of them are really quite confronting as well have you when making work have you ever been so confronted by an image by the juxtapos- juxtaposition of what you're making that you yourself have had to step back and go whoa this is just a bit too full-on
5: yeah well a couple of times in this show uh, that's happened um Usually, I kind of feel a bit of distance from the issues that I'm talking about, I guess. But um, particularly the the work called Omran, and um, it's directly referencing that image of the little boy that was pulled out of the after a barrel bomb. Uh, he was, you know, put in the back of an ambulance and just left on his own. And that footage just went round the world, and uh, it was just it really brought home the Aleppo crisis, I guess, for a lot of people. And I wanted to make a work about that, so I had to get that image of Omran. Up and sit there and look at that while I was painting because I've because the work I've made it's a it's an orange little orange child's seat I painted it orange because he was sitting in this ambulance which had orange seats and then a tiny little tiny tiny little child figurine which I have then reconfigured to to and repainted to look exactly like Omran with all the blood and dust and everything and I, I just I just had to keep sitting there and looking at it you know and it's one thing to see it as I say on social media and scroll past. And and the, keep, yeah, you scroll just, past and see yeah, a cat video. Yeah, but. exactly. But, oh, it was really challenging. Yeah, yeah. Penny Burns
1: exhibition, Brutal, uh, is opening tonight at Linden New Art at 26 Ackland Street, St Kilda, and running through until the 8th of March. More info at www.lindenarts.org. Penny, while the exhibition is on, will you be doing any floor talks or any of that?
5: Uh, yes, I am, yes. Uh, gosh, now you've got me on the hopper, you might have to look it up. It's uh, it's coming up soon. Um I, uh, I'm sure if you go. To look, the li- if you go to Lyndon's Linden website, uh, yep. I, I am giving an artist talk uh, on a Sunday afternoon, so there can't be many of those between now and the too much. Sure,
1: there uh, are So, uh, in fact, yes. meet the artist Penny Boon Sunday, go. the 26th of February, yes, from 2 p.m. to 3 p.m. Uh, so, a good opportunity to hear Penny speaking more about her ceramic work and some of the the images and ideas behind it. If this ex- if this conversation has whetted your appetite, then get along to the exhibition uh, and uh, get along perhaps on Sunday the 26th of Feb 2pm to 3pm to hear her t- talking in more detail about her her career and her work. Thanks for coming on.
5: Thanks very much it's for been having me. It's a pleasure
1: meeting you and, uh, and I really like the work so yeah. Thank
5: Great, you. thank you.
0: This has been a podcast from 3RRR 102.7 FM in Melbourne. Truly independent community radio. Want to hear more? Check out our website at rrr.org.au